0: Hello, hello, London here. Barcelona, are you hearing me? Linda, it's time. (laughs) Yeah, I'm here, Anna, just give me a second.
1: (laughs) I'm just uh, catching my breath. I just got uh, my son set up for his Catalan class online. And okay, let me tell you, just (laughs) a word of advice, parents, always check the mute button before you speak. (laughs) Okay. This was totally me five minutes ago. I was like, okay, get in that chair now and focus. Oh, crap, the mic's on. Uh, sweetie, cariño, time to sit down. I swear, his teacher thinks I'm totally crazy. But is anyone else feeling exhausted or just completely jaded parenting in a pandemic?
0: Oh, my goodness. Yes, jaded, definitely. Do you know what? I'm feeling like it's, um, well, basically, I'm feeling like it's Groundhog Day every single day over and over and over again and again and again and yet yeah, totally frustrated wondering you know if we're still locked down or not here in the UK but hey you know what we are alert uh, we'll get into that in a bit so um are we ready for episode 6
1: absolutely yes time to check in here on the checkpoint podcast we're all doing our best as time turns to jello do you have jello in the UK <laughs> do you mean jelly no jello
0: no jelly <laughs>
1: Um, Anyway, the good news, we have an inspiring episode planned. We'll hear from brave moms who work in hospitals across the world on the front lines of COVID-19. What are they seeing? How are they coping? And what it's like for them to hug their kids again.
0: Yes, and we are really glad that we're able to share their voices with you. So do keep listening to The Checkpoint as we hear from some amazing and brave nurses here in the UK in Spain and the U.S. I'm Linda Freund
1: in Barcelona.
0: And I'm Anna Cunningham in London.
1: We're both moms and journalists. And uh, like every other mom right now, hanging in there? (laughs) Yeah,
0: just, just about.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So Anna, how's it going in the U.K.? Because uh, here in Barcelona... It's pretty much the same. I mean, we have these allocated walk and exercise times, and next Monday, I'm hearing, if all goes well, the bars and restaurants will open here again at 50%. We're able to socialize in groups of 10 starting Monday. So, you know, I've been talking to some of my mom friends about setting up quarantine bubbles so we can survive. Quarantine
0: bubbles. Yeah.
1: Well, it really feels like G-rated swinging, which... (laughs) (laughs) but you know negotiating the terms so we could share childcare and, and stay safe it's look we live in very strange times yes absolutely so where are you all in the lockdown phase and when you said we're on alert like what did you mean
0: okay right uh where to start well linda since we last recorded we have heard from our prime minister boris johnson who we know has recovered from covid 19 himself and has also become a new dad again. And now back to running the country. He has um he's laid out this roadmap to easing the UK out of lockdown. So it's out with the old message of stay home, protect the NHS, save lives, and in with the new message of stay alert, control the virus, save lives. Confused?
1: Whoa, 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 So yes is no and white is black. Hang and on, two on. plus two is <laughs> let me seven. try
0: let me try <laughs> and explain it to you. Okay, so you're ready. Um this is where we're at. So work from home, but if you cannot work from home, go into work. Avoid public transport, drive, cycle or walk. But if you can't, then you can use public transport um wear face coverings when in enclosed spaces so if you are on public transport which you are supposed to avoid wear it okay go out sit in the sun go to the park drive where you want play sport but only with your own household but you can exercise with one person from outside your household still there (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Sort of. Uh,
0: You can meet up with one person outside your household if you want, but keep social distancing. Uh, Playgrounds, outdoor gyms, leisure centers are still closed and team sports banned. But you can go to the garden center and do up your garden.
1: Oh, that's logical.
0: (laughs) If you're traveling to the UK, you will now be quarantined for 14 days. So look, all of this is phase one. When we get to phase two, which at the moment is planned for June the 1st, here's the big one for parents. Schools will reopen. Wow. In June? June the 1st, but only for reception. So that's kindergarten. uh, Year one and year six, primary school children. And the aim is for all primary children to be back before the summer holidays, which is nearer the third week in July here in the UK. And here is where it gets really confusing. So we're talking about this as the UK, but in actual fact, Scotland announced it would not be doing the same as England and would be sticking with the stay-at-home message. So did Wales and Northern Ireland, which has now since decided to relax a few rules. So, do you know, the question is, is life back to normal here in the UK? No, we are in phase one of five. Phase five is where we are back to normal. But as we go through this, we have, in reality, the second biggest number of deaths per country worldwide. So we know the US is up there at the top. They've just uh, passed 90,000 deaths due to COVID-19. Currently, as we record at the moment here in the UK, we are nearing 35,000 deaths. And I think that there really is that underlying fear about a potential second wave. Do you know what, Linda? I am just exhausted going through all this. I don't know whether you've understood where we're at, but that is the UK roadmap at the moment.
1: Wow, and you say potential second wave, but it feels to me that you're still entrenched in that first wave. I mean, here in Spain, the daily death toll is now down to 59, which is huge considering it peaked at nearly 1,000 in early April. So as we go through this slow uh, methodical reopening, uh, there is a feeling of having surpassed that, that second wave, but okay. With you, first of all, that is exhausting too. I I know that there is money out there for an app to be made where you can ask your question, is this okay? Is this not? But (laughs) for now, here's my uh, grand summary. So you can stay home, Uh but go out as much as you want, Uh go to work, but still work from home. Uh, Don't use public transport, but, but do. yeah. Uh, see one parent, but not two. Am I getting all of this right? Yep. I mean, I don't know I don't know what the fuss is about. All of this makes complete sense to me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I wish it did for others. But do you know the thing is as well, none of this applies to me because like many others, I am shielding on 12 weeks lockdown due to being classed as vulnerable. So um, I'm on week 10 and still counting. Uh,
1: wow. And and you mentioned June for the opening of the schools. You know, I've been closely following the school openings in France, Germany, Denmark, the Netherlands, Switzerland. And clearly, I think in the UK, as well as eventually in Spain, when we reopen likely in September, we need to be ready as parents for those half days, temperature checks at the door, staggered yeah. drop offs, washing, uh, roped off classrooms and, and schoolyards. Uh, What about the UK? Are they preparing you in any way for what's to come?
0: Well, it's a real big debate here at the moment in the UK and parents are just wondering what is going to happen and and if this will happen. I mean, there are big disputes at the moment with the, the teaching unions are questioning this a lot. But do you know, there's a more practical question that many parents are asking themselves. What if you have one child who is due to go back and not the other? What if you have been called back into work because the government says you can? Who looks after the children? And the questions just go on and on. And I, for one, I am really concerned as a parent about this. You know, I have one child who is in preschool and one who is in year four. So she's aged nine. So the youngest one could go back June the 1st, but the eldest not. So it just throws up lots of questions and lots of issues. Now, Karen Walters is a working mum with a five-year-old son here living in Harrogate in the UK. And she has shared her thoughts very honestly with The Checkpoint about how difficult she has found homeschooling and how she really is ready to send her son back to school. I've
2: found the last eight weeks particularly challenging I know I shouldn't complain. I do think I'm probably one of the lucky ones. I've been safe at home. I have actually been furloughed. The first few weeks before furlough was particularly challenging, um, of course, because myself and my husband, we both have full-time jobs. They're quite demanding jobs, so we were were both trying to juggle video conferences, teleconferences, writing reports and meetings um, with homeschooling. Our five-year-old, he's found it particularly hard. My son, because he's not used to mummy as an authority figure in terms of teaching, he's been particularly challenging from a behavioural point of view. He doesn't want to do the schoolwork. He's pushed back at every opportunity. He's watching way more TV than he should be. We're doing about managing to do about an hour's worth of schoolwork a day. Even that's actually really, really challenging. And that involves a lot of bribery, um a lot of patience uh, constant badgering for us to get anywhere for us to go through the online lessons that the, that the schools set and the tasks that the schools set for us so i found it particularly tough my son has found this particularly tough like i'm sure it, it, it is the same with many other families so when i listened to the announcement about the potential for schools to reopen i have to admit i was really relieved I'm embracing the decision. It's the right decision for my son. I accept that there is some risk attached to it. Um, I think the risk must be minimal now, um, given that the government are considering this. So I'm gonna put my trust in the experts and allow my son to return in June. Then he can focus on developing the friendships that he's already started to make and not be missing out on the socialization that I think is really important for him. He's an only child, so it's really key, I think, that he integrates with other children, um, starts developing friendships, and that, for me, is actually as important as the educational piece itself. I'm not so much worried about him missing out on, you know, a few months of school here or there. I'm sure he will catch up. He's only five. But I am worried about him not having socialisation with other children and that affecting him long-term, uh, I think that's a real risk. I think it's a risk that's actually been downplayed. I think people are focusing more on the educational side of things and not the um the relationship aspect and I guess for children from families with siblings it's not maybe not as big a concern but as my son's an only child for me it is my number one concern. It it's really important that he has those friendships, develops those relationships. So for that reason, I'll definitely be sending him back in June if I get the opportunity to do so. I'll obviously take all the precautions that the government advise, but I think it's the right decision for children. um, And I'm really looking forward to getting him back.
0: Now, Linda, Karen does mention there that she will follow, obviously, the government's lead. But my concern is how on earth do you get such small children to socially distance? Here in the UK, we are all about the R, which we keep hearing, Uh, R being, you know, the rate of infection. That's the number of people that one person could infect with COVID-19 and they want to keep it below one. Then... What are the risks if we go above one when you have a load of children gathering together in school?
1: Definitely. Schools are are trying their best to negotiate all of this. Did you see the playground photos of preschoolers in France, oh, yes. the one with the chalked squares?
0: Yeah, that just absolutely broke my heart thinking about how, you know, young children, they just love to hug their friends, don't they? They love to go around the playground holding hands and playing And making friends, particularly young children, they're just at the beginning of understanding those relationships. So, you know, sitting in chalk squares, how difficult is that going to be for them? But I think, you know, all these big questions, is it safe? We just don't know. Do our children run the risk of contracting the coronavirus and bringing it home to the parents at home it's so many questions at the moment we just don't have those answers
1: right and beyond that we're learning new things about the novel coronavirus every day for example the impact on children's systems we've heard of all of these reports of children across the globe being hospitalized with COVID-19 linked inflammatory syndrome so that's fevers swollen eyes and, and hands and this is happening in kids who are testing positive, though it seems to be rare at this point. Uh, a lot of us are wanting more information as parents about the the impact on children and really so we can negotiate and make personal decisions about how to balance that need for work, uh, employment, to earn a living, as well as the need to keep our children safe in the school.
0: Absolutely, and we are clearly still learning more. And as we do, we here at The Checkpoint will come to you with the latest as we all really work to make the best decisions as parents.
1: The fact is, no matter where you live in the world, if your kids are back in school half days, if you're staying online, or if you're just doing the bare minimum, which is fine too, Things are not going to be normal for a while, and teachers recognize this. Anna Pepito, a second-grade teacher in San Francisco, and mom, joins the checkpoint to explain her concerns and hopes during this difficult time.
3: We can't deliver the same instruction the same way as we would if we were in the classroom with the kids. We're not right there in front of them teaching, and especially with young children, now parents are expected to support in a way. And just to ensure that the content is, is delivered or the students complete their assignments. I'm just really worried about the families who now have to navigate a whole new world of homeschooling with their children, often while still working themselves, and it can easily create new stress for them. Often the way that families or parents have learned how to do something in school academic as kids changes in education. And I'm worried that families will be overwhelmed by these changes and the children will be really frustrated saying, no, my teacher does it this way or you're doing it wrong. And the last thing we need for families right now is more stress. I'm just also worried for the school communities that provide so much more than education. They provide before and after school care, food for families, social opportunities for students, special education services and therapy for students. And there's just so much That goes into servicing the needs of our students that these structures have stopped and kids might not be getting the necessary services. So with all these worries I'm still remaining pretty hopeful. My hopes are that families are talking to and with their kids, telling stories, talking about their feelings and as a result students might have improved vocabulary and understanding of how to communicate their ideas clearly because their families are talking more. And I hope families understand it's okay to be overwhelmed with the schoolwork I've been teaching many, many years, and I still get overwhelmed with supporting my son in his schoolwork. And I don't want families to worry about reaching out for support. Most teachers want to help, and we're all figuring this out as we go. So the more transparent families are, the better and the stronger we become in our new distance learning jobs if we get that that feedback. And I hope that teachers use this as an opportunity to get creative with their teaching and their assignments for the first time, at least in the in the U.S. In many states, we don't have the pressures of end of the year testing and we can go beyond the crash review of skills leading up to the state tests. And we have this opportunity to be creative with the learning. Everyone's figuring out how to do this type of teaching. So we have a lot of flexibility and we can we can be creative.
1: Wow, I love that Anna Pepito is able to find some positive in this and some encouragement for both parents and teachers. It will be really interesting to uh, follow what happens in California. Governor Newsom has recently said that schools may reopen come July or August, though he's leaving everything up to individual districts.
0: No one knows for sure. We're all worried about a spike still As is typical with teachers, I know, Anna manages to find hope and strength. And
1: if in doubt, parents, clearly, just keep talking to each other, talking to your kids. There really is something to that, even if you have to schedule a time to talk, because everything is just crazy right now. And, you know, my husband and I, Anna, we we experimented with this, and we're trying to set up routine chats with our son now. And we get a window at lunch, which is great, so...
0: (laughs) Do you know, I have done that as well with my eldest daughter and I'm calling it snack and chat.
1: Ah, I'd love that. You know what, parents listening, if any of you do the same, please feel free to send your clips. We would love to share those conversations. So here's a little little snapshot of our six-year-old and, and what he's thinking. Now, mind you, he is chomping away as as he speaks. So manners notwithstanding, take a listen weird to do an interview with you while you're eating. Very tricky. Yeah. I feel like I'm going to get pieces of pasta on the microphone. Yeah. Do you ever get tired of your parents being around you all the time? Yeah. (laughs) Any more to say about that?
4: No.
5: (laughs) What do you do when you are wait, 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 wait. What, What
0: do you get tired of about being with your parents all the time?
1: Their love. You get tired of
6: our
0: love? <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's love, huh? No, not that. Hmm, I think
6: their work.
1: Yeah. What about our work?
6: Your work is really long. You have to do it really long.
1: And what would you prefer we do?
6: I would prefer you to just stay with me
1: and have fun with me. But sometimes we have to work, right? Yeah. Thank you for being a part of the Checkpoint podcast. We're loving being able to share your stories here from across the world about your experiences during this time.
0: And if you do want to share your voice, we would absolutely love to hear from you. You can get in contact with us on our Facebook page or find us on Twitter. Or if you prefer, you can also drop us an email at mycheckpointpodcast at gmail.com.
1: Hey, Arius, I'm so sorry. Can you be just a little bit quieter? No stomping right now? He's just decided to stomp. <laughs> he He's, you know, he's been really into um, having his stuffed animals. He's an only child, right? So having his stuffed animals have these very vivid exchanges, conversations with each other. So that was his cheetah's voice, actually, and stomps that I'm hearing. Let's hope that he'll quiet down a bit. But anyway, so... Checking back in, here on The Checkpoint, we want to hear your voices, your experiences about parenting through COVID-19, and we know that there are many mothers out there that are themselves key workers, and that balance between work and life has been very difficult to strike, but possible. So we now speak to women who love their jobs, feel a sense of duty and privilege on the front lines, and are making it work.
0: We start off with Daphne Franklin, a nurse in COVID-19 wards in Walnut Creek, California. Now Daphne and her husband are both registered nurses helping COVID patients.
6: Hi, my name is Daphne. My husband is Devry. He's also registered nurse at the same hospital. We have two kids, Ari and Lennox. They're three and one, both girls. We actually work opposite days so we're able to take care of our kids. We have one day off together, but being able to be there for our kids is really important to us. Experiences right now in the hospital during COVID, there's a lot of fear around COVID. And the main thing is that if you do have COVID, you cannot have any visitors. So the only person they really see is really the doctor, maybe once or twice a day, a phlebotomist who draws the blood probably once or twice a day, but they see the nurse for the most part. So we're there for 12 hours of the day. So we're there pretty much half the day with them. And you just see like the fear that they have of being alone. A lot of older patients will say, you know, I don't want to be alone. Can you come in here? And it's hard to tell them, I understand that you're lonely, but you do have this virus right now that is contagious and that we can't be in your room all the time and we need to limit the time that we're in there but we we can be in there when you need us but we can't be there because you're lonely so we try to distract them with tv and music we have magazines available for them but for the most part we can't expose ourselves to covid patients in that sort of way because just like me and my husband we have to come home to our children so it's a really hard balance
0: Wow, do you know what? That is really hard. The balance that she talks about, the needs of patients for company with needing to reduce risk so parents who are nurses can keep their own kids safe. Daphne also speaks about how to balance that parenthood work and the worry that they could bring the virus home.
6: It's harder because we have to be very careful when we're at work and very careful when we come home from work. We have our disinfecting station there's a guest bathroom that we strip down in put all our clothes wrapped up and we take a shower before we even say hi to the kids i think they're getting used to the fact that they can't come up and hug us when we first come home they know to stay on the couch and say hi and kind of wait till we're done taking a shower and that's what we worry about We never go to the grocery store. We always have everything delivered. So if for some chance that they end up sick, it was probably one of us. We both got tested and we're negative. So we know that we're not carriers. But the continuous patient care of COVID patients is there's a high probability that we could possibly get it. So we try our best to use the correct PPE, which our hospital does provide this covid on the west coast is specifically in contra costa county is not as bad as the east coast or new york specifically and we have the ppe our hospital does a really great job providing what we need and for people who say nurses signed up for this we did not sign up to be martyrs so if we have a job and they provide us with the right equipment then that is what we can do.
0: It's interesting how they have managed to get their children used to waiting to hug mum and dad before they themselves are clean and sanitised. Now, I know that as a mother to a four-year-old, that would be really hard, just not being able to get close to your children.
1: You know, I also think it's really interesting to learn about a part of the United States that is not necessarily classified as a hot zone. So they're still seeing COVID-19 patients, but the uh, hospital workers there are able to navigate with the right amount of uh, protective equipment. Now, as journalists, uh, we tend to focus on the worst case scenario, the hot zones, and there are many stories out of New York City that are indeed powerful, and it's important to know what's going on there. But I think it's equally critical to have a broader picture of the U.S. at large. But no matter where you are in the world, there is definitely a a personal toll. It is a very emotional period for anyone working in the medical industry right now.
6: In regards to nurses... In patient care, emotionally, patients are dying from COVID. And so there are volunteers at our hospital that have come into the patient's room with full PPE and held the hand of the patient dying during this time.
1: Anna, this just moves me so much. There are so many invisible heroes right now. And it's the loneliness of this virus that's one of the hardest things, no matter where you are. Yes.
0: Absolutely. It's just a lot of isolation for a lot of people.
1: I spoke to Esperanza Ríder in Barcelona, who said the same. She works at a hospital as an administrative worker in Spain. And her family, including her six-year-old daughter, recently contracted COVID-19. Her husband, a paramedic, was in the ICU for a time. I spoke with Espe in Spanish. We've included an English translation for you.
7: What I experienced during the pandemic in the hospital is that it's changed radically. It doesn't look like the hospital I've worked in for the past 20 years. Every day, when I go to work, I ask what's new, who's out sick, who's missing. We're used to pressure, but we hadn't lived this kind of pressure. We are thinking there are a lot of lives at stake. It was really hard to be honest
4: hospital
7: I've also experienced the loneliness in the hospital. It's lonely for a lot of people, and a lot of older people who make up the majority of cases in our neighborhood. The truth is that it has been really tough. The first two weeks, my daughter was with my sister-in-law, who had two boys her age. But every afternoon when we called her, she would always cry because she was sad that she wasn't with us, and my heart would break. My husband and I both work at the hospital. When we got home, we cleaned ourselves well, took all our clothes off. For two or three weeks before, we didn't give any kisses or anything else, very little contact. I was the first one to get sick. At home, it's our daughter, my husband, and my mother, who is much older and is very frail.
4: When I got sick,
7: I had very few symptoms. But I was afraid. I didn't want my mother to die.
4: Because if I gave
7: it to her, it would be her death sentence. When I was on sick leave, my husband contracted it and he had to be hospitalized. My daughter had a cough for three weeks, day and night. It was exhausting, but nothing more.
1: So Espe's mom is fine at the moment. And what's interesting about Espe is when I called her a hero, she just shrugged it off. She's just doing her job. That's what she wanted to stress. And the whole family has recovered. She just returned to work this week to help others heal from the virus. And uh, now mom and dad are coordinating their schedules so they can take turns staying home with their sweet
0: daughter. You know, Linda, that juggle is really felt by those who are key workers and parents. And I think as we have spoken to these nurses around the world, we're hearing very similar issues, very similar challenges that they're having, balancing that that working life and being a parent. Let's hear from Claire McIntyre from Liverpool here in the UK. Her and her husband, Archie, are both frontline nurses and they have four school-aged children. And Claire also helps out with her elderly mother, who is currently shielding at home, Now, she spoke to us here on The Checkpoint about what happened when the whole family got COVID-19 and how she managed.
5: Myself and Archie are both frontline nurses. I work in secondary care, which is like a hospital, but he was working in primary care. I felt that we were quite well protected and we had the PPE that we needed. But I was desperately worried about the situation that Archie was in because he was telling me some really awful stories about people just walking in, clearly with symptoms of COVID, terribly frightened and worried, needing help. Now, that wasn't obviously the process that they were supposed to be going through, but I think when people are frightened, they know if they go to a nurse or another health professional that they will get help, and and that is what happened. And I think on a couple of occasions, Archie was exposed to people who were suspected covid positive without probably having the proper equipment and i think this was shown because other members of staff were also becoming ill with covid and then what happened is i was in work and archie was off and he had said for a few days that he wasn't feeling very well and then i came home from work this one day and he didn't look well and we checked his temperature and it and it was really high and i think we all knew then what was coming and obviously I was really worried because I'm also looking after my mum as you can probably imagine and I had been going into her because as a shielded person someone still needed to get her shopping and just make sure she was okay but the way I've behaved around her is always to act as if I have got it and keep my distance and behave in that way to hope that I would protect her and so far that that's happened so I phoned my work and said that I wouldn't be able to come in the next day because I had suspicions that some family members were displaying symptoms of COVID. And by this point, I'd heard our eldest, Elspeth, who's 16, also coughing. And so I knew. So, the, so I phoned my work and they arranged testing for the people who were symptomatic. And that was quite important because what they were saying is you can get false negatives if you're testing people at the wrong point of the infection. So they were quite clear that we really needed to be testing people who had symptoms between two and four days, which was the ideal. So in the end, Archie, my husband, Elspeth, who's the eldest, 16, and Isla, who's the youngest, 10, were all tested because they were all displaying symptoms. We were told two days later that Elspeth and Archie had tested positive, but that Isla had tested negative. But actually at that point, she became really unwell herself. It was really difficult because it was a bit like a dominoes one by one everyone became ill the hardest part for me was i just felt utterly exhausted and i was struggling to get out of bed but obviously as a mother you're a mother first and foremost and so i was needing to get up to make sure that people had drinks people had uh, paracetamol for their fevers and the pains that they were experiencing and just generally just on mum duties But i felt like i was really struggling as well i was offered to get a test in my work i didn't actually access it the reason for that being i had to stay off work for 14 days anyway because of people testing positive who i lived with but actually at that point i felt really unwell myself and the thought of getting dressed and getting into a car and driving when i actually felt really unwell it was probably quite unsafe to do so I decided not to get tested myself because I didn't really see the benefit of it because I wouldn't have been returning to work anyway. And that would be probably the main reason why work would need to know whether that was COVID positive or negative because it would impact on my work. But once somebody who you live with has got symptoms, you wouldn't be coming in anyway. I was really frightened. I know that most children who get it are absolutely fine. But working at children's hospitals there always are exceptions to that and they're the ones that we do see and there has been some strange um syndromes almost occurring that are linked to COVID, and we've seen that in the evelina hospital in london and i think you know there's probably more to come and um, in terms of the children and um, they're all recovered but it was at the time really difficult because they weren't they weren't getting out of bed they were needing a lot of care in terms of like you know getting drinks brought to them uh, medicine and just obviously they were worried and frightened as well and because it was like one by one i just felt it was really really difficult
0: linda testing has been a real big issue here there's been a lot of criticism saying that the uk was just too slow to get testing rates up high but as claire explains she was able to get tests for some of her family, as she is a key worker. And I think you can hear it in her honesty in the way that she speaks and explains what happened, how difficult it was for her and her family. And yet, as a mother, she just had to quite simply carry on doing what as mums do, you know, just getting on with it. And I can totally get that because back in early March, I was ill with COVID symptoms. I had no way of getting a test. And for two weeks, I just had to carry on as best I could with my children whilst isolating at home. But for Claire, having experienced COVID herself as a nurse, as a mother, she still has big concerns as the UK begins to ease those lockdown measures.
5: People will be frightened. Of course they will, because it's not gone away. The lockdown is just temporarily halted the creeping spread of it but it's not gone away it's still there you know my feeling is that the lockdown mainly was happening to protect the NHS and the services to make sure that there was enough beds to cope with the amount of people and what we're actually doing is we're just delaying The spread of the virus, we're not stopping it. You know, within the last week since I've been back at work, I've noticed so much more traffic on the roads. Um, And, you know, it looks like it's getting back to normal to me. When I've been going out into the parks, I have seen, you know, groups of people together, obviously unconcerned about the fact that coronavirus is still out there. And obviously that is worrying because it does affect everybody. And I think it's easy to say, you know the older you are or the more health conditions you've got the more likely you are to get a serious dose of it and that is right but some of it is really quite random as well and we've seen people who are fit and healthy that are young that have no other conditions that have been really critically ill and died and I think people need to remember that this virus is new we've got no vaccine for it and I think that people need to be aware of how dangerous it is at the moment because we can't control it, we're not controlling it. All we're trying to do is slow the spread of it. But actually, everyone's got a part to play in that and people who think, well, I'm okay because I've had it or whatever, I think that is not the right attitude because we don't know if you've had it, whether you can pass it on to someone else. And we don't know who's vulnerable and who isn't to this virus and we do know that most people will be all right but you know one in six won't be and that's just not good enough and we can't behave like that and we need to look out for each other and protect each other and support each other and you know compared to other european countries our country has been a lot more lax i think you know the lockdown was a bit late to start it wasn't you know a severe lockdown it was only a soft lockdown in my opinion You know, people were still able to go out. Um, Nothing was really happening if if groups were seen in the parks together. But on the other hand, this is an area that, that has got high levels of deprivation and people don't have gardens. And so that's the only open space that they could go to. And so you are in a dilemma because you know that these people probably need to be there for their own mental health and sanity. But being in large groups like that is how it's spreading and so it's just trying to get the message out to people that even if you have it if you're two meters apart the likelihood is you will not pass it on to someone else because it will not spread that far and it's just as simple as that really and until we get a vaccine we have to carry on like this and it's so so difficult as i think as a mother and a nurse You spend so much time touching people, holding them, hugging them, that I have found that really, really difficult and completely alien, that I've not been able to do that. And obviously I have with my own family, I've just continued. And, you know, some people have suggested that in a house where one or two people have tested positive, that the rest should try and isolate themselves and protect themselves. But I just decided that that would be impossible. And, you know, we were all living together and we just have to you know, go through it together, which is what we did.
0: And one point that Claire makes, which I think we can all relate to, we've heard it from the other nurses that we've spoken to, is that real necessity we all have for touch, for that emotion, that it's just not possible during this pandemic. And in the sense that as a nurse, she cannot touch people, she can't comfort them. As a mother, even as a daughter, she cannot hug her own mother. It just makes the emotional side of dealing with all this so much more difficult.
5: We did struggle, you know, the, the levels of anxiety were awful and there's that sort of like that guilt feeling as well, that because of our work we then exposed our children to this virus because we, our skills were needed as nurses and we accepted that. And we're not heroes or anything else like that. It's just our job and that's what we do and we know you know, it's going to be difficult. Although saying that, this is probably one of the hardest times in my nursing career that I've ever had to face because of the just the sheer levels of worry and concern and anxiety and the lack of touch and the lack of people's families being able to support their loved ones by coming in and sitting with them. All those types of things that just make life easier for someone who's not well have been taken away. And I think me then worrying about what I've brought home from work and exposing our children to our work, it it, it is a conflict, um, but they do understand. And I think they they know that, that we're needed. But, you know, compared to other families where they've got maybe both parents at home or one of the parents at home, you know, we've got where both parents are out, you know, for large amounts of time, you know, that has been difficult. And then when we were all ill together, it was nobody could go out for 14 days. And again, that was difficult because we had to rely on people to drop off food. And with a a family of six, that's, that's that's no mean feat asking people to do shopping and get things for you and i actually find it really difficult to ask for help and that was one of my big struggles when people were saying what can i do i had to sort of force myself to say could you cook a shepherd's pie and bring it round please and and, and practical things like that and so it's made me think if I have to help somebody or if I do help somebody who's not well, I won't be saying, what do you want me to do? I'll be doing what one of my friends did and say, this is what I am doing and just do it. And I just think that helped me a lot. And I've learned a lot from that as well. Thanks once again to the
1: hospital workers who share their voices with us here on The Checkpoint.
0: Yes, it's been a real valuable insight into how some of the key workers across the world who are themselves parents have been coping with work and home life under COVID-19.
1: As always, we're glad you've joined us. We'll be back for another episode, but for now, for me, Linda in Barcelona,
0: and me, Anna in London, stay safe, stay well, and alert, obviously.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And as always, keep washing those hands.